Heavenly Father, as we turn to the Scriptures, the Word of God, we ask for the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Help us to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest, and all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please be seated. We come this morning in our examination of Second Timothy to chapter 2 and verse 22 to the end of the chapter. Second Timothy 2 verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Well, so far, God's holy, inerrant word, and may He add His blessing to the reading of it. Now, some of you will be thinking that you wish there was a better text. Preachers often think like that, especially when preaching consecutively through books, but this is the text that I have this morning. You may think to yourself that this text is for someone else, and in part you may be right. Paul is speaking to Timothy. Timothy is a preacher and teacher in the church of Ephesus. So there is something in this verse that's certainly appropriate to the ministers and to the elders of this congregation, but it's appropriate to you too. How do you pray for your elders? How do you pray for your ministers? We, and I speak on behalf of my, my colleagues, love you immensely for your prayers. I know that you pray for us regularly, and we are thankful for that. And Paul is giving to us here the shape and contour of what a part of ministry has to deal with. He is, of course, in prison, and these are his last words and his last thoughts, and he's speaking, as it were, from a human point of view as to what is on his heart for young Timothy, his protege in the faith, facing difficulties in this vibrant, growing church in Ephesus. Ephesus. 
John Owen writes that what a minister is on his knees in secret before God Almighty, that he is and no more. That's a very humbling statement. That what he is on his knees, that he is and no more. Robert Murray McShane, who died when he was 29, was pastor of the church, Free Church in Dundee, and uh, you'll remember that for a season, um, Dr. Ferguson was the evening preacher at this um, congregation. And writing to a missionary on the mission field, he said, how diligently the cavalry officer keeps his saber clean and sharp. Every stain he rubs off with the greatest care. Remember, you are God's sword, His instrument. In great measure, according to the purity and perfection of the instrument, will be its success. In the same letter, he famously said, and it's often quoted, it's not great talents that God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God, and awful in the 19th century meant something a little different, meaning that it would be terrifying to the enemy, a holy minister. Writing to Timothy earlier, Paul had said in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that a, that a, a, a preacher, teacher, must be above reproach. Now, last week, we were looking at that illustration that he uses in verse 21 about, about vessels that you can find in a home. Some are honorable vessels and some are dishonorable vessels. And a minister like Timothy must be a vessel of honor. Now, the first thing that he says to Timothy is in the negative. And the New Testament shape of holiness is often negative followed by positive. There are things that we need to put off, and there are things that we need to put on. There are things that need to be mortified, and there are things like the graces of the Spirit that need to grow and flourish. Flee youthful passions. Now, some of you are familiar with the King James Version, and, and I'm pretty sure a few of you are a reading from the King James Version this morning, uh, and it famously translates this as flee youthful lusts, drawing the conclusion that what Paul is thinking about here are sexual sins. But the word that's used here is a much broader word. It's the word that Paul uses in Romans 7 when he says, I would not have known what, is, what it is to covet, that's the word, if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Youthful covetousness, youthful desires in general. It's interesting that in recent days, in the last year or two, in our sister denomination in the PCA, there has been a debate and controversy over 
the issue of desire. And the issue is whether the desire is sinful or is it only sinful when you act upon that desire. And a word was brought out of storage that had not been used for some considerable time. The word concupiscence, and we owe that idea to Augustine. And in the issue, for example, of homosexuality, which is where the debate began in our sister denomination, is the desire sinful or is it only sinful if you act upon that desire? And something like 15 or 20 percent voted to say that the desire was not sinful, which is staggering. So there's something in this text that's very pertinent to where we are now. Flee youthful desires. Now, what kind of desires might youth have? And forgive me if I sound uh, patriarchal. I am 71. I think maturity and experience have a way of taming certain desires, certain covetousness. Timothy is young. He's in his 30s. He's half the age of the Apostle Paul. He's been in ministry for less than a decade. He hasn't experienced ministry in all of its raw and sometimes ugly state. He's young, and the young often want fame and glory. They want to be John Piper. They want to be R.C. Sproul. They check YouTube and see how many people have watched their sermon from last week. Youthful desires. Applause. You put a young man in a pulpit, you put a young man in office as an elder, and Paul warns not a novice, lest he be lifted up with pride. I tell people all the time that this is one of the most magnificent churches to preach in. Not just the layout and geography of a pulpit that cannot be moved. This pulpit cannot be moved you would require some heavy machinery to move this pulpit, and I like that. This congregation, and I preached in hundreds and hundreds of churches in my lifetime, but this is a congregation that listens. You can hear sometimes a pin drop in the middle of a sermon. And for a young man, that can be a position of authority. Flee youthful desires. Notice there's a positive, not only a negative, but a positive. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. These are, these are Christian graces, virtues, 
Many of them are found in the list of virtues of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. This is, this is something that is true of every Christian. But especially, especially those in positions of teaching and, and, and preaching. The godliness of an elder, the godliness of a minister should be apparent, transparent. They should excel. It was McShane. How extraordinary that this man was in ministry for seven years. And one of those years he was in Palestine developing a mission to the Jews. So effectively, he was only in Dundee for six years, and, and we, still, we still remember him because of his godliness. He didn't write all that much, but we remember him because of the power of his godliness. And he once wrote that the greatest need of God's people was his own personal holiness. That's what I want you to pray for for me and for my colleagues and for the elders of this church. That what is taught from a lectern in a Sunday school or what is taught from a pulpit in the church must be matched by a life that exudes the presence and the power and the person of Jesus. You ask, what, what do you want me to pray for? You're asking me that question. What, what should I pray for you? What should I pray for my colleagues? That when they speak, you will see Jesus. If you are called to office in this church, your personal godliness is paramount. The holiness of your life must be central. You must be a model of godliness. Discipline yourself, he tells Timothy in his first epistle. There were all kinds of all kinds of issues in Ephesus. Ephesus wasn't Corinth, for sure, but there were, there were issues in the church in Ephesus. There was Gnosticism in the church in Ephesus. There were women overstepping their bounds. There were unqualified men in office, it seems. And there were widows whose needs were being overlooked, to mention just a few of the issues that young Timothy would have to deal with. But his greatest need is godliness. And then you notice in verses 23 to 26, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Quarrels about unimportant things. Or quarrels about things that are decidedly wrong. He must contend for the faith. He must stand up for the truth. 
But he mustn't get involved in what he calls foolish, ignorant controversies. He must be winsome. He must be kind. He must be gentle. Interesting that he uses that word gentle. Meek and meek and gentle. There's a book, Dane Ortland has written a book, um, Lowly and Gentle, Gentle and Lowly. Uh, and he's quoting, of course, from the gospel depiction of Christ. Actually, they are Christ's own words. I am meek and lowly of heart. Jesus didn't draw attention to his own personality very much. I'm tempted to say that is the only time that he does it. I am meek and lowly of heart. Have nothing to do, he says. Have nothing to do. And the verb in the Greek suggests walking away. Sometimes the best way to deal with a fool is to walk away. And say nothing. Debates that bring no glory to God. Ego can be a factor. You remember in the third epistle of John, I fear the third epistle of John is probably the least read book in the Bible because it is so short. There's a man in Third John called Diotrephes. And John describes him as liking to put himself first. Well, you've met Diotrephes. You've met him a thousand times. He's always putting himself first. Butting into issues and conversations that are none of his business, being combative, the sort of person who doesn't care about the cause so much as the sound of his own voice, wanting to win an argument for winning an argument's sake. Earlier, Paul had said, but those who prattle, and it spreads like gangrene. Paul said, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own sight. Now, you notice in verse 24, Paul refers to Timothy as the Lord's servant. That's all he is, the Lord's servant. It's not about him. It's not about his pride or his ego or, for that matter, his gifts. It's the fact that he's serving the Lord. And he must be gentle. A good teacher patiently enduring evil, speaking 
calmly and firmly, but without malice and bitterness. There's someone you see in the church who's caught in the snare of the devil, and he doesn't know it. He doesn't realize it. And Paul says he's been captured to do the devil's will. Maybe God will bring this person to repentance. That's Paul's desire. He has no certainty of it. He has no assurance of it. But perhaps, he says, God will bring this person to repentance. That's what young Timothy has to deal with. This text this morning, you came as visitors and welcome for baptism and you're going to go home saying, this is a very strange church. <laughs> it's full of quarrelers, and there are people caught in the devil's snare. Well, I think that's true of a lot of churches. And that's why you need to pray. You need to pray for our elders. When an issue like this arises, you need to pray for your elders, that they will be firm and committed to Scripture and the Gospel, but meek and lowly, gentle, but resolute, and perhaps God will bring this one to repentance. Father, we thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Sometimes Sometimes your word appears so very relevant, and we ask by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would bring fruit to bear from this word today. We pray for our elders and ministers, and that they might be godly, Jesus-like in every way. Help us, we pray, because the devil is near and he prowls about and he looks for a weakness. And we pray that we might resist him steadfast in the faith. For Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen.